Welcome to Experts Only Podcasts, sponsored by Clean Capital. You can learn more at cleancapital.com. I'm your host, John Powers. Each week, we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance with leaders across the industry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for joining us today at Experts Only Podcasts, sponsored by Clean Capital. Before we dive into our interview, I wanted to share some exciting news from Clean Capital. We just closed a new $250 million equity partnership to acquire solar assets in partnership with a firm called Carvel Investors. You can go to cleancapital.com to learn more about that. Or if you have assets, solar assets, uh, we're obviously very actively acquiring in this space right now. Uh, so I look forward to talking more about that on a future episode. But today we are speaking with Dr. Emily Reichert. Emily is the CEO of Greentown Labs, the largest clean tech incubator in the United States. She helped grow the company from, from its four co-founders into a global leader in clean tech. Emily's a chemist by training who went to MIT's Sloan Management. We'll talk a little about that in the interview, how she took her, I think, technical experience and really enhanced her skill set with the management work and is now leading this really incredible lab. So we're going to dive into what is on the future of the clean tech space, how some of these incubators are emerging, and you know what VCs should be looking for in some of those opportunities. Emily, thank you so much for joining us here at, at Clean Capital's Experts Only Podcast. It's totally my pleasure. I'm excited to be here today. You know, I really want to start off with talking about your personal experience and your personal story, how you decided to get into the space. You've got a really interesting background and and as we were just talking about off offline you know you're one of the few uh doctors in an executive role managing and leading it's it's exciting but you know i want to ask you about sort of the tipping point when you decided to seriously devote yourself to to a green future and having a positive impact you spent your early part of your career at a technology centered consulting firm and then uh had a moment when you decided to what you needed to have an, a positive impact and started creating uh, the green chemistry program. So what set you on that on that current path? How did you decide to study chemistry? <laughs> well, it all goes back to where many undergraduates start who have any interest in the science. And that is, of course, I wanted to be a medical doctor. Uh, my dad was a doctor. And so I started taking chemistry and biology. And I found that chemistry was interesting. You were like solving problems and it was challenging. And for me, biologists Biology just seemed like you're memorizing a lot of frog parts, right. and it just didn't really grab me. And so over time, and partly through the excellent mentoring I had at my small liberal arts undergraduate college, uh, the University of Redlands, I moved towards chemistry. And I did several summers of research, both at the school and then later at Argonne National Laboratory outside of Chicago, Illinois. Sure. And moved into that area as kind of something that you could really know and understand. Like chemistry is based on mathematics and it's based on being able to solve things. And you can talk about like atom plus atom and molecule plus molecule. It's like knowable. And at that time, biology did not seem knowable to me. So I was attracted towards the chemistry. Which, and then, uh, oh, sorry. No, no, no. Which is interesting because with, with that, uh, the mathematical approach, you later went and pursued your MBA. So what, a, what an interesting mix. <laughs> yeah. Well, fast forwarding several years. So as you said, I joined a consulting company, was in that kind of climbing the corporate ladder, doing the rat race thing. 
Uh, moving more to, from an originally science bench-based career, uh, more into management, because I was a person that could both understand and think about the science and do the science, but also I could manage people on time and on budget and, and figure out how they could get projects done, even if they were from different technical disciplines. So that was noticed early on, and I started rising in the organization. And that was a, a really great experience for me. To, to be put in that management role because, like you said, not a lot of scientists and engineers actually want to right. manage or can manage. It's just not two skill sets that typically go together. But um, I was always a kind of people person. I mean, even in graduate school, I got my PhD in chemistry. I was always like looking for other things to do outside of the laboratory, like be on a graduate student faculty liaison committee in my academic advisor was like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, I need people. I'm in the lab all day by myself. <laughs> so I, I kind of had a, a, a strange set of skills or a unique set of skills there that uh, allowed me to understand and speak the science, but also be able to help the scientists get the work done. Yeah, that's amazing. And so after finishing up my uh, consulting, well, I, I stayed in consulting, actually. So I went to a green chemistry company. And you, can, can uh, you just, highlighted just that back for a well. second. <laughs> when you say green chemistry for our listeners, talk about what that actually means. Yeah, so green chemistry is basically doing chemistry in a way that is friendly to the environment. So there are actually 12 principles of green chemistry that green chemists follow. And those are things like trying to use less hazardous materials, so like safer solvents. It's designing chemical reactions for energy efficiency. It's using renewable feedstocks rather than petroleum-based feedstocks. It's using catalysis where you can. It's really trying to reduce the impact, the environmental impact of the products and the processes that go into really our everyday lives. So right. how can you make decisions that are smarter for the environment? That's really the question that green chemistry asks. And then you said you went to a green chemistry company. What was that? Yeah, so that was the Warner Babcock Institute for Green Chemistry. And it had been founded by John Warner, who is one of the two guys that literally wrote the book on green chemistry. He was at uh, one of the local universities, spun out a company really dedicated to helping large corporations make their products and processes more environmentally friendly. And so we worked on things ranging from helping a carbon black process be more efficient. Carbon black goes into inks that you use in printing every day to helping nail polish utilize uh, less, shall I say, it's not quite toxic, but um, not as great for it your health toxic. chemicals. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, not a pretty smell. And there right. are reasons for that. That's the solvents that are uh, evaporating out as the uh, material dries on your fingernails. But there as are a, ways that you can... As a father of a five-year-old daughter who loves to try to paint nails outside, I'm like, you got to do it outside. <laughs> you got to yeah. do it outside. Well, the question is, do you want to do it at all? Right. Um, I have to say I pretty much stopped uh, using nail polish and stopped using plastics for cooking food after right. I was at the Green Chemistry Institute for a couple of years. I believe it. Uh, I believe it. So it's a wide range of projects that you can work on. And the idea is like, can you make these products perform in the same way? So the nail polish, for example, being just as hard, if it has ingredients that are better for you and better for the environment in it. And that's actually a pretty hard problem to solve, which is why you needed a firm that was full of chemists and engineers to help 
identify the solutions to these problems and then test them and evaluate them. So we worked on also you know, hair dyes. We worked on making a more chemically friendly, really environmentally friendly solar cell. We had a, a vast array of products and processes that we worked on. And most of the time it was kind of in the background. You know, it's not like companies are saying, I have something in my product that is toxic. Right. I need, you know, it's, it's, so it's a lot of work that's kind of behind the scenes, but really interesting solving chemical challenges. And it just makes you think in every aspect of your life, just what is touching you at all times in terms of the products you're putting on your skin. What are you smelling when you get into your car, that new car smell? Well, that's a chemical that's added. So you got to think about things. What is the bigger impact here when you are designing a chemical product? So that's what we did at the Warner Babcock Institute. So following that path that you was, is that what began to lead you down sort of the, the, the clean technology and clean energy space? Was it some of that research or what, what sort of began to lead you in that direction? Yeah. So I stayed with the Warren Babcock Institute for two and a half years. And while I was there, we grew from a company of really kind of founding team, uh, which was made up a lot of graduate students uh, from the UMass where the Dr. Warner had um, spun out of to a company of 40 something. And that was all taking place in less than two years. So during that time, I got not only the opportunity to have my chemistry make an impact, you know, because that was really what I was seeking when I left the general consulting firm. But also, I got the opportunity to see how you build a company and build a culture around that company and build the practices and processes and set up the lab so that they're working in a way that's good for the scientists and think about how you communicate the results of your work to corporate clients. So all of that really gave me the kind of bug, I would say, to say to have in my head, hmm, could I build my own company that would be doing clean tech? And so I went next, uh, as you mentioned, to uh, the MIT Sloan School of Management, where I did something called the Sloan Fellows Program. It was a one-year MBA for folks who have already been in the workforce 10 years. And and uh, it was really an amazing, very international program. was there for a year on the MIT campus. And that's really where I discovered just how much was going on in the clean energy space. And my mission had really been to grow or start a clean tech company. And that's that was kind of what I wanted to find while I was in MIT. And so many opportunities presenting themselves. I've talked to so many people. I've probably had hundreds of coffee conversations because, of course, that's the way that you find what you're going to be working on in these day, this day and age. And I just learned just how much was going on and how exciting exciting this field was. And, you know, that was 2011, 2012, and it was a couple years post-stimulus, so there was still a lot going on in, in the government. There was also a lot going on in the state I was in, uh, Massachusetts, where there are very uh, forward-leaning policies. And at that time, we had Governor Deval Patrick in place. Clean energy was really at the forefront of his agenda. And then there was a lot going on just at MIT. We had the MIT um, Energy Ventures course, which helps undergraduates and graduate students to form ventures that can then, you know, launch. And one of the ways that they launch is through the MIT Clean Energy Prize. There was also 
energy, clean energy night. I mean, there's just a whole bunch going on at MIT around this because a couple years back, uh, Susan Hockfield had really started this MIT energy initiative. She was the former president there and brought the university together around the idea that this is something that is hugely important and that MIT could actually contribute to. So that kind of what was going on at the school, what was going on at the government level, and then what I saw in terms of entrepreneurs starting new companies, there was a lot going on in the clean energy space. And so I think I kind of naturally gravitated towards there. And I started out more on the materials end, thinking about energy storage companies, but I kind of learned just how much there was going on in the wider clean energy, clean tech space. And that really led me to finding the folks that uh, founded Greentown Labs, which was a bunch of entrepreneurs in a right. sub-basement in South Boston <laughs> who were all building clean tech companies. And someone had said, you really need to head over to this Greentown Labs because if you're looking for a clean tech company to join or to start, there's a whole basement full. So that's what I did. And, and that really started uh, the trajectory that would uh, be the next five years of my life so far. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it sounds like there was a, a perfect ecosystem being developed there in Boston around MIT, the work you were doing, the basement full of companies. Uh, so when you came into Greentown Labs, you know, there's been obviously significant growth in uh, what you've been doing and the mission and, and the companies you all are bringing in. So, um, you know, I want to highlight some of the major successes at Greentown Labs. I think just to show, uh, or like you two, to show some of the impacts of, you know, what you're incubating there and who's sort of making and changing markets. So, you know, what are some, to paint a picture for someone who uh, is not familiar with that, with the, the incubator and the work you're doing, you know, talk about maybe a successful company or what are some of the companies that have emerged from, from Greentown? Yeah, absolutely. So I can highlight a few of the major successes just that I think demonstrate uh, just the type of company that we're trying to help and um, who we are. So I'd say uh, a couple examples really shoot to mind. Um, one is a company called Bevy. And Bevy was founded by a couple of entrepreneurs who were worried about the problem of plastic collecting in the oceans. You know, when you throw out those plastic water bottles, you have you use them once and they right. end up, you hope, in the recycling bin, but maybe not. And in fact, there's this giant island of plastic out there in the Pacific. Well, uh, this entrepreneur, Eliza Becton, had an idea that she wanted to solve that by reducing the number of plastic water bottles that were used. And so she came up with the concept of the bevy. And the bevy is basically a machine that allows you to get water could be all different types of flavors, plain water, fizzy water, you know, could have grapefruit in it or mint or lime or whatever, but it's basically a water dispenser that lives either in your kitchen or in your office space or in your gymnasium, wherever it is that, that um, people would normally be just using these one-use plastic water bottles. Right. And that company was really founded out of Greentown Labs. They have uh, now expanded in Greentown Labs uh, by our wow. entrepreneurs. So if there's anything that our entrepreneurs can do well, it's like break stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so, so this machine ended up being real robust, but uh, they uh, are now uh, scaled to be 
in uh, not only Boston, but New York and California. And uh, there's a show that I think it's on HBO, perhaps, that um, is all about startup culture. It's called Silicon Valley. Of course. And the last few episodes have actually had a bevy in the background. No, so that's awesome. So you know you've made it when you're on the Silicon (laughs) Valley TV TV program. That's right. (laughs) Uh, But they're doing great. They're scaling. They've got a Series B round of investment uh, last year for $16 million. So they're well on their way. That's great. For uh, folks that are, are interested in the, the uh, plastic ocean that Emily mentioned, uh, there's a great documentary that came out last year uh, led by Jack Johnson, actually the musician who went out to that place and, and captured some of the it's, – it's mind-boggling to, to think about you know this, this entire island that's been developed of our plastic water bottles and plastic bags out there from all around the world. So talk. So that's a really that's a good example. When when the leaders of that company were coming through the labs, they're getting their 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 technology tested. How are they getting uh, sort of leadership mentorship, leadership guidance? You know, it, going back to what many of us in the startup space you know struggle with is you know really starting to build and scale a company and how to do it, which for many might be outside of their basic skill set of developing that technology. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. And there's actually quite a few things that startups in general struggle with. And I'd say that scaling experience and also just general management experience, especially if you're coming from a technical background, like we said at the beginning, management and, and uh, technical background don't always go together. In fact, they very rarely go to go together. So that's definitely something that entrepreneurs are doing while they're at Greentown Labs is building out that team, building out that advisory board. Often they come to us from an earlier program, an accelerator program like Techstars. I think maybe Bevy did Techstars. I'm not quite sure. But the idea is that a lot of times they pick up their early mentors there. And then uh, with their, when we're, they're with us, we're specifically trying to focus with them on the things that hardware companies struggle with. Right. And when I say hardware, basically, I mean, you're making a physical product that needs to be manufactured. And in clean tech, most of the products that are being made are going to be of that ilk. So Greentown Labs is really structured around the idea that these clean tech companies have a tough road ahead of them, not only in fundraising, but also in so many different aspects of a company that a software company doesn't have to deal with. Like, for example, you have to be able to test your technology in a real world environment. So you got to find a site. You got to show that it works on the scale that you know really matters. So maybe you have a technology that needs to be tested on the grid. How do you do that? How do you even form those connections? Our companies also need something around you know typically to set up a supply chain and start doing some early manufacturing to get to the point where they can test a technology at scale. And so those are two. That's those are a couple areas that these companies need help with. So over the years, we've developed a couple programs that are specifically focusing on areas hardware companies need help. So around manufacturing, we provide mentors that are working with them to try to think through. Okay, great, you made this in the lab, but how are you going to make it in real life? Like, how are you going to make a hundred or a thousand or a million of these? Right. What different steps do you need in your supply chain? And then we help connect them to those manufacturers. The other thing that these companies need is typically some kind of corporate partner relationship. And this is really critical 
in the clean tech arena because most of the time these are B2B companies. These are companies that are selling not to an end consumer, but to someone along the value chain that is not the end consumer. And right. so usually they're going to have to partner with a large company like a GE or a Shell or a Saint Gobain or you know some electrical utility, an Anji, for example. All of those are partners that can either be like at the simplest end, mentors to help them understand markets. But they can also be pilot partners and customers. They can also do investments, and we've seen quite a few of those. And they can also, you know, eventually acquire the company, and we've seen that as well. They can be customers too. So we have a special program around having startup companies be better prepared to interact with large corporations because it's not the same pitch as you give to a venture capitalist. A venture capitalist simply wants to see often that big curve that shows you have a gigantic market and that all things will be good. Whereas a strategic partner needs to see how you fit into their five-year strategic plan. And you need to be able to speak about that strategic plan in an intelligent way. And so it's a very different pitch, and we help prepare our companies for that. And then finally, we work with companies on their investor, their general corporate, uh, sorry, their general um, venture capital pitches and angel investor pitches, which are often the stage that companies come to us. They're really at that seed stage where right. they're they've just raised a first round of capital. It's probably in the tens to hundreds of thousands, and often they need to tune up their pitch. And so we help them in a variety of different ways to do that. So investors, corporate strategic partnerships and manufacturing are pro specific programs that we find are typically gaps in early stage company knowledge and expertise. And so we seek to specifically fill those gaps with our programs. So with those programs, right, I think you hit on two really interesting spaces. You talked about what corporate America is looking for in partnerships where a lot of these technologies will be feeding into, but also you know, what the, the folks trying to look out on the markets, the venture capitalists, the seed investors, and others are and where they're playing. You know, if, you, if you sort of merge those two, you know, what are you seeing in some of the larger uh, sort of market trends that are driving – uh, some of the innovative technologies that are really, I think, helping to disrupt the power and energy sector. So, you know, what what are driving those trends? Because I think the reality is you can create the greatest bread slicer in the world, but if no one needs a bread slicer, uh, it doesn't help you, right? So what what are the, what's driving some of these trends and what, you know, what are some of the market trends that you guys are most excited about? Yeah, well, when you look back at what's driving them, I think in general on the corporate side, there's an understanding that there is a need for open innovation. There is a need to be seeking innovation from outside of the company. And I think that that's really across the board with all of the companies that we work with. You know, again, the likes of GE and Anji and National Grid and Shell and others like that, they see that they need to bring technology from the outside because corporate R&D budgets have been slashed and then slashed again over the last 10 to 15 years. And so they're recognizing that they need to be able to bring this technology in from the outside. And they're realizing that it makes sense. Even in the last five years I've been working in this industry, we used to have large corporations coming to us and saying, I don't look at anything until Series B. Right. And we don't even, you know, for our incubator, that's like way beyond. Those are graduates of our right. incubator. 
now people want to, you know, the, the, the scouts and the VC, CVC folks are basically coming to us and saying, we want to see the companies much earlier. They want to know what the trends are, what is going on in a particular field or area. And they want to be there kind of right beside and sometimes being a mentor or being involved in that company's development by providing market information. So so it's a really different posture that I've seen evolve over the past five years. And that is that companies are realizing they need to get the the, the intellectual property and the you know, ideas and the talent from outside of their corporate office parks, you know, that are typically ring American cities. And so to mention some specific areas that we've seen a lot of interest in, um, I'd say these are somewhat, they're related to uh, clean energy in particular, but also they broader than that. And really, we think about clean tech as doing more with less. And so for us, clean tech really spans a much wider gamut than often what people think of as clean energy. So you might think of clean energy as wind and solar. And we think of clean energy also as wind and solar, but then we also accommodate a lot of clean tech companies beyond that. So energy storage, uh, grid-related stuff, so energy distribution, energy generation. Uh, we also see companies in ag, water, and waste, hmm. transportation, and e-mobility. We even have companies that are in manufacturing and robotics because often you can make those processes a lot more energy efficient than they are today right. uh, by, for example, using robotics. And so, and then there's, of course, some IT type companies and apps, which are a very small proportion of our portfolio, but often underpinning hardware type technology. So it's a broad gamut. So in those areas, I'd say we are seeing a lot of momentum in clean tech and agriculture, agriculture technology or ag tech. We've seen, you know, at least at Greentown, a lot of applications in this space recently, ranging from energy efficient cooling systems that utilize waste heat provide cooling for indoor agriculture to highly efficient irrigation technology. And so there's a lot in that portfolio, and we see the interest on the corporate side there as well. Another big trend we're seeing is the use of drones and software for solar and wind farm inspections. So that's kind of a more traditional clean energy type application. And these would be typically trying to reduce maintenance costs and increase power generation. Excellent. So if there is one of the listeners, one. oh, sorry, go ahead. It sounds like you got a big um, one to end with. Just one more big one. I'll, <laughs> yeah. yeah, big one I'll, I'll mention is, you know, U.S. energy storage market is projected to double Huge. this year. And we are absolutely seeing new innovations in energy storage and distribution technologies that kind of back them up. So whether it's peak power shaving technology or flow batteries capable of replacing the fossil fuel-based power that primarily makes up the U.S. baseload and electricity. This is a place where we're seeing more and more applications and where our members are headed and going to do big things in 2018. Exciting. You know, so many more questions I, I have, but I, and obviously we're limited on time. For, for one of our listeners who may be in the venture capital space or, you know, a large corporation interested in getting connected, how do you get connected to Greentown Labs? Well, it's pretty easy. We actually have an investor relations program, not in the traditional Great. IR sense, but uh, we actually interview. So companies can reach out to me on LinkedIn. They can uh, reach out to 
the Greentown info, and they will be uh, funneled to uh, our strategic partnerships manager. And what she does is typically has these companies in or talks to them on the phone to do an interview. And we try to get a sense of what the the investor is looking for, um, where they are in their fund cycle, and suggest who would be the best matches for them uh, within Greentown Labs. And honestly, we have a pipeline of three to 400 companies at any one time that we're watching. So sometimes we can uh, push a few of those that might be on the waiting list or in the pipeline towards investors as well. Excellent. So investment is something we do every single week. We have office hours of different investors coming in. So we welcome them and we just want to learn what are you looking for and how can we help you connect to our companies? Well, you certainly sit at the uh, intersection of energy, innovation, and finance, which is sort of what we uh, look to explore here at, at Experts Only. And I want to ask sort of a final question I ask all my guests. You know, if you can go back to yourself, you know, you've got an amazing established uh, career here. And coming out of you know, getting your PhD or coming out of high school or college, you know, what advice would you give yourself at this time? Well, I think probably three things, and maybe the, the last two are really one. First of all, I'd say jump up and grab opportunities when they come, and don't be afraid to take risks. That is something that uh, you go through life, and you have things given to you or thrown at you or questions are raised. You know, Should you go into this field? If it seems interesting, it's worth trying. And so I think that uh, oftentimes we hold ourselves back because we think we should be on a particular path. Right. But you don't really start having fun and exploring and adventuring. Get a little off that path that you imagined for yourself. Second, I'd say follow your passion. Every single one of the employees I have here at Greentown Labs are passionate about clean energy and clean technology and getting those to market and helping entrepreneurs. And that makes them work really hard. And it also makes them very successful. And so when you can align your passion with your work, that is when you get the really winning combination. And then I like to think about a career mission as the third thing I'll, I'll suggest. So there's probably something that is really a driving force for you. You know, for me, it's making an impact with positive impact with my training and education. And that impact, I believe, can be made the best and the most efficiently in clean tech and helping clean tech get to market. So as I'm looking forward to my career, and I advise my staff to do this as well, what is it that helps me continue along that path on that mission? So it's not as much about did I get to the next step or the next title, but it's how am I moving forward and making progress towards meeting my mission as an individual and as what my career is really all about. And so sometimes along that mission, you'll take sidesteps. It won't always be a direct, I must achieve the next step, next step, but what is your mission? And that helps you align your career and your goals and move forward in a way that pretty much always makes sense to you because you're doing it for the right reasons. Outstanding. Emily, thank you so much for your time today and a fascinating conversation. And you know, I challenge folks to check out Greentown Labs. It's the, the largest clean tech incubator in the United States doing an amazing work based out of Boston. I look forward to continuing our conversation. Thanks, Emily. Well, it's my pleasure. I'd like to thank Dr. Emily Reichert for joining us today. What a fascinating conversation. Really, I think understanding the market 
effects that are driving some of these future companies we'll be hearing more and more about. You should follow Greentown Labs to, to continue to track their progress. And go to cleancapital.com to learn about what we're doing and our recent announcement in our new partnership with Carval. I'd like to thank our producers, uh, Emily Connor and Lauren Glickman, for their hard work and look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks. Thanks for listening in today's conversation. Find more episodes on cleancapital.com, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. We look forward to continuing our conversation on energy, innovation, and finance with you.